Sunday, we're starting a brand new collection of messages that we're calling Out of Control. How many of you have ever had a moment in your life where you just thought things were spiraling out of control? Anybody like that? Just, it just seems like the world is going out of control. And we have to remember that when things seem out of control, that our God is always in control. And so we're going to be talking about that in the life of Joseph in this new study. And I'm greatly looking forward to it. So I want to encourage you, be here. Uh, be here a little bit early. Uh, bring something to write with. Bring a Bible. Bring a friend with you. And let's lean into this new uh, series of messages and ask God to do something special starting next week. Today we're going to conclude uh, a series that we've been in over the last several weeks. We took a break last week with Anniversary Sunday. Uh, but we've been in a series to start this new year called Kickstart. And it's about how to accelerate spiritual momentum and how we can have a fresh start in this new year. And we're going to look to Genesis 35 today, one of the greatest examples, I believe, in all of Scripture of a fresh start, of a new beginning. And so I want to encourage you to keep your Bible open and ready. And if you don't own a Bible, there should be a Bible somewhere in the seatbacks in front of you, and you can take that Bible home with you. It's our gift to you. Genesis chapter 35, if you're ready to dive in, would you say amen? Genesis chapter 35, let's look at verse number one. The Bible says this, and God said unto Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there, and make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. Then Jacob said unto his household and to all that were with him, Put away the strange gods that are among you, and be clean, and change your garments, and let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make there an altar unto God, who answered me in the day of my distress, and was with me in the way which I went. And they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods which were in the land, in their hand, and all their earrings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the oak which was by Shechem. And they journeyed, and the terror of God was upon the cities that were round about them. And they did not pursue after the sons of Jacob. So Jacob came to Luz, which is in the land of Canaan, that is Bethel, he and all the people that were with him. And he built there an altar, and he called the place El Bethel. Because there God appeared unto him when he fled from the face of his brother. Today, for a few minutes, I want to speak to this subject. Back to Bethel. Back to Bethel. Everybody look to your neighbor and say, back to Bethel. We're going to talk about how to get back to Bethel. Let's have a word of prayer together. Lord, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. God, thank you for the work that you're doing in our church. Again, God, we want to praise you for last weekend. Thank you for the baptisms, the salvations. God, I pray that we would recognize that that, that is what it's always about. And Lord, I pray that we wouldn't get distracted uh, by all of the secondary things, that we would miss out on the primary things, and that is all about reaching people with the gospel message. Lord, I pray that we would be able to lean into your word today. God, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit and give me the words to say that would be helpful and beneficial for us. God, I pray that all of us today would have a better understanding of this chapter and how it applies to our lives and that we can learn how to get back to Bethel when we are struggling spiritually. We love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, there are certain places in life that are important to us. I'm sure all of us could sit down and 
jot down maybe some places that are significant to us, maybe the place that you were born or uh, the place that you were married. Uh, how many of you can remember the place where you got saved? Anybody like that? The place that you got saved. There are certain places in life that are significant to us. A couple of months ago, our family was in Washington State, and uh, we were going to go by the neighborhood that Katie grew up in, and uh, Katie, my wife. And so we went to this neighborhood, and we went to the house that Katie grew up in, and I was trying to explain to our kids uh, the significance of this place. And so we got out of the car, and it was raining a little bit, uh, but we stood in the front, and I said uh, to Liv, uh, Luke, and Blakely, I said, this is where mom grew up. This is where she lived when she was a little girl. And I was kind of trying to make it a special moment. I got done talking, and my son Luke looked at me and said, can we get back in the car now? <laughs> like, like totally just unimpressed at, at where we were. And he was like, okay, cool, let's get back in the car. Uh, but the reality is, is that there are certain places in life that are significant to us. When we come to Genesis chapter number 35, we find a very significant place in Scripture. And it's a very important and significant place for Jacob. Uh, Jacob was going to a place that was called Bethel. Now, it wasn't always called Bethel, which means house of God. It was formerly called Luz, which means almonds. It was a very uh, dry and barren place, not a whole lot happening at Luz. But one day when Jacob was on the run from his brother who wanted to kill him, uh, God showed up in this place called Luz, and Jacob had an encounter with God, and Jacob renamed the place Bethel, which means house of God, a very important place in the life of Jacob. Everybody tracking so far? Bethel, a significant place in the life of Jacob. He said this in Genesis chapter 28, verse 16, and Jacob awakened out of his sleep, and he said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. And so this was a very important place for Jacob. Bethel represents the place of salvation for Jacob, the place where he had an encounter with God. Bethel represents God's will. Uh, Bethel represents the place of God's blessing. And Jacob had wandered off. He had drifted off for years, some 30 years, and he was drifting far from God. And in Genesis 35, God comes to him and says, now it's time to get back to Bethel. He was in a spiritual slump. How many of you have ever encountered a spiritual slump? Anybody honest enough to admit that? Or maybe your devotional life was barren, or maybe you felt like you were drifting from God and that you were kind of just in a slump spiritually. Uh, back in 2009, the Detroit Lions in the NFL, they were on a 19-game losing streak. Okay, that's a pretty big slump. Any Detroit Lions fans in the room? That's exactly why, okay? Uh, they went on a 19-game uh, losing streak. Uh, that's a major slump. But, but often, spiritually, we can find ourselves drifting from the place of our passion and, and wandering. That's why one of my favorite hymns is this hymn called Come Thou Fount. And there's a line in that hymn that says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And so often, we want to be on the right trajectory. We want to be on the right path moving forward, but we're prone to wander, we're prone to drift. You know, this happens even in the life cycle of a church. We, if we're not careful, we can drift. Jesus wrote a letter to a real church in the real ancient city of Sardis who was kind of drifting and kind of going through the motions. And this is what Jesus said uh, to that church. Do you want to hear it? In Revelation chapter 3, verse number 1, he says, And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. He says, I know thy works. So again, this is a real church. They would have read this letter in front of the congregation. Jesus is saying, I know thy works. I know what you've been doing. I know your activity. That thou hast, watch this, a name that thou livest and art dead. Then he says, be watchful. In other words, he was saying, wake up. You need to wake up. He was saying, you have a name that is active. You have a name that you're living and alive and active and doing well. But in all actuality, you are spiritually dead. 
You're, you're just kind of going through the motions. And he says, you need to wake up. This was a wake-up call for the church at Sardis. I remember growing up, my mom had this bottle that was a spray bottle, and she had a cat. And anytime that cat would go and claw the couch, she would just spray that cat with it. Well, my mom would also use that spray bottle on my brother and I when we didn't wake up in time. And she would come into the room, and she would just spray us right in the face. That is a terrible way to wake up. I I don't know who hated that more, the cat or me and my brother. But uh, that was not a great way to wake up. But when Jesus writes this this letter to the church, and when he uh, writes to the church at Sardis, he's saying, hey, you have a name that you're living, but actually, spiritually, you're dead. You're going through the motions. And so what does he say? Be watchful. It's time to wake up and to strengthen the things that remain. And I'm praying today that at the 11 o'clock service, there might be some people that would say, you know what? Yes, I have been drifting a little bit, but now I'm going to get back to Bethel. I'm going to get back to the place of God's blessing. I'm going to get back to the place of spiritual renewal in my life. Back to the place of spiritual formation. I'm going to wake up and strengthen the things that remain. That's exactly what's happening in the life of Jacob. God's saying, hey, you need to get back to that place where I met with you and that place where you surrendered your life to me. Now, to understand Genesis 35, in just a moment, we're going to dive into it. We're going to start to unpack these verses. But I think it'd be helpful for us to understand a little bit of the context as to what's taking place in Genesis 35. Would that be okay this morning? And so what's happening is Jacob is living life on the run. Why is he living life on the run? Because he stole the family birthright. His brother Esau wants to kill him. And so he goes and he lives with with his uncle Laban. And they're in Haran. He's living life on the run. He doesn't want to go back to Esau. He doesn't want to go back home because Esau wants to kill him. And so he's kind of just content to be drifting far from where God had called him uh, to live. Well, eventually, if you read in Genesis chapter 33, Jacob and Esau, they make amends. There's a beautiful picture of restoration and reconciliation. The family is reunited. Well, instead of Jacob, after that moment, going all the way back to Canaan and back to Bethel where God had called him, instead he kind of drifts and he lands and plants his family in an area known as Shalem in the city of Shalem. Now, Shalem is not where God called him. He knew that he wasn't supposed to be in Shalem. He knew that he was supposed to be in Canaan. This is kind of a picture of delayed obedience. He was on the right path, the right trajectory, but he kind of just drifted, and he ended up staying in Shalem. Now, listen in, because what happens next is important. While he's in Shalem, something terrible happened. Jacob's daughter, Dinah, gets raped by some of the men in the city of Shalem. After that happens, Jacob becomes furious. Jacob's sons become infuriated. They decide, Jacob's sons, to take matters into their own hands. And Simeon and Levi, the next day, go into the city of Shalem, and they murder every male in the entire city. The next day, the rest of the brothers got together. They went into the city of Shalem. They stole all the money, all the animals, and brought it back. When Jacob found out about this, he was heartbroken, and he realized that they had just done a great, wicked, and terrible thing. And the Bible says in Genesis 34, the chapter right before we're going to study today, in Genesis 34, verse 30, Jacob said to his sons, he says, you have troubled me to make me stink before the inhabitants of the land. In other words, because of what you did, everybody hates our family now. So I want you to kind of feel the emotion of the moment that Jacob is far from where God wanted him to be. His daughter just experienced a terrible tragedy. His sons took matters into their own hands. They went and murdered many people. And so they're far from where God wants them to be. They're hurting, they're broken, and everyone else around them hates them. If anybody needed a fresh start, I would say Jacob needed a fresh start. If anybody needed to have a new beginning and a revival, it was Jacob. 
And praise the Lord, in Genesis 35, what we see is a revival, a renewal, a new beginning, a kickstart, a fresh start. Uh, God showed up, and he met with Jacob again. But what I want to do is I want to look to Genesis 35, and I want us today to see four ways that we can get back to Bethel. When we start to drift, when we start to wander, how do we get back on track? How do we get back to Bethel? Four ways. Are you ready for them? Number one is this. If we're going to get back to Bethel, we must respond to God's word. We have to respond to God's word. I want you to see it starting in verse number one, and I would encourage you to keep your Bible open and ready today. Let's look down at verse number one. The Bible says this, and God said unto Jacob, arise, go up to Bethel. He says, all right, Jacob, it's time. Enough is enough. You need to get back to Bethel. Now, Jacob knew that that was already where he was supposed to be. The reason Jacob didn't want to go back to Bethel is because all of the inhabitants of the land surrounding them hated them and wanted to kill them. Jacob was on the no-fly list. Uh, Jacob was thinking, this is not the right time to travel. People hate me. And so I don't want to go back to Bethel because it's dangerous. But that's exactly what God called him to do. By the way, can I tell you today that if you are serious about your calling, there will be times when you have to get uncomfortable. There will be times when you have to step out by faith, even when it's scary, even when there might be some perceived danger. See, sometimes we have to choose between comfort and calling. God did not call me to just find the most comfortable place to live, the easiest place to live, and do the easiest thing that I can do until he comes home. No, he called me to reach people with the life-giving and life-changing mess of Jesus, even when it's uncomfortable. And so God says, Jacob, God tells Jacob, hey, arise. It's time to get up and get back to that place. Go back to Bethel. Now, he gives Jacob here a helpful reminder, okay? And I want you to see how, how God does this in verse number one. He says, arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there and make there an altar unto God. Watch this. He gives this reminder. Here it is. That appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau, thy brother. Did you see the reminder? He says, he says, Jacob, I want you to go back to Bethel. Remember that place? Remember that special place where Esau wanted to kill you and you were on the run for your life and I showed up? Remember when I showed up, Jacob, and we met and I gave you that covenant and uh, we made that promise? And, and remember when I met with you, Jacob? He's giving him this helpful reminder. See, if you want to get back to Bethel spiritually, if you want to get back on track, so often we think that we need something new man, I need a new revelation. I need to read the latest book and listen to the newest podcast. And if I can have a lot of new content, then I'll be on my way. Sometimes what we need is not a new thing. What we need is to be reminded of what we already know. And so what God does to Jacob, he says, I want you to go back to that place and I want you to remember what I did for you there. Can I encourage you today to not forget about the blessings and the good things that God has done for you? A lot of times it's very easy for us to remember the pain. It's easy for us to remember the adversity and the difficulty, but it's so hard for us sometimes to remember the goodness of God and the blessings of God and the provision of God. Can I just remind you today to never forget the works that God has done for you. Don't forget the fact that Jesus bled and died for you. Don't forget the fact that you have a home in heaven forever. Don't forget the fact that when you were forsaken, God says, I love you with an immeasurable love. Let's not forget about the goodness of God. And the blessings of God. And so God shows up to Jacob and he says, hey, I want to give you this reminder about the good things that happen at Bethel. Deuteronomy 6, 12 says this. Then beware, here's the warning, lest thou forget the Lord. I don't know about you, but I don't want to come to a place of spiritual stagnation when I forget the Lord. When I forget the goodness of God. I want to be able to say like the psalmist in Psalm 77, verse number 11, I will remember 
the works of the Lord. By the way, that's a decision. I will remember the works of the Lord. That means that sometimes you have to wake up and give him praise even when you don't feel like it. That means you might make a list of things that you're grateful for so that you don't forget. That maybe means that you journal and write down when God provides for you so that when you are in need again, you remember that God is faithful to provide. And so I will remember, I will determine to remember the works of the Lord. And so there's this helpful reminder that God gives. He says, remember that place. Remember when I showed up and when we met together in Bethel. But not only the reminder, now I want you to see next the removal, okay? Everybody still with me? I want you to see the removal. Now we see it in verse number two. It says this. Then Jacob said unto his household and to all that were with him, put away the strange gods that are among you and be clean and change your garments and let us arise and go up to Bethel and I will make there an altar unto God who answered me in the day of my distress and was with me in the way which I went. And they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods which were in their hand and all the earrings which were in their ears and Jacob hid them under the oak which was by Shechem. And so Jacob takes this calling very seriously. He's responding to God's word. God says, arise, get up, go to Bethel. And Jacob knows if we're going to successfully make it to Bethel, if we're going to make it safely, then we're going to have to get rid of all the idols and the sin that's in our lives. Jacob knew before he could go forward, there were some things that he had to let go of. I wonder in your life, what needs to be removed in order for you to be renewed? Because we want spiritual, so, so often the reason why we don't make it back to Bethel is because there is a sin that's in our lives that we're unwilling to get serious about. It's not a big deal, no problem, I, I can handle this, I can, get, I can get through this. But so often what we need to do is to forsake and to cleanse and to seek God and ask for forgiveness and to renew that right uh, restoration and relationship with him. That's why the Bible says that we are to lay aside every weight and the sin that doth so easily beset us. You know, 2 Corinthians says this in, in chapter 7, verse number 1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, writing the church, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit perfecting holiness and the fear of God. And, and so Jacob is taking this seriously. If we're going to get back to Bethel, we have to get rid of this idolatry that's in our lives. See, when they left uh, Laban, Rachel had stole some of the idols that were uh, her father's there uh, in Haran. And she stole some of those idols. And that kind of infiltrated into her home, into her family. Now they all had these idols. And it had been 30 years since God originally met with Jacob at Bethel. And so now Jacob's saying, hey, we've got to get rid of these things that are holding us down. And specifically, did you notice how Jacob addresses his household? Did you notice it? Look at that in verse number two. Then Jacob said unto his household. In other words, Jacob took on the role of a father and a parent. He says, this is what we're doing in our house. You know, there are times as a parent when you need to say, this is what we're doing in our house. We're not going to go there. We're not going to do this. We're not going to watch that. We're going to do this. Uh, there are times when, when a parent and a father has to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's what we're going to do. And that's what Jacob did. He looked at his family and he says, this is what we're going to do. By the way, I think this is so important when it comes to parenting. Restriction and restraint for a child is a blessing, not a curse. Restriction is a good thing. Uh, G.K. Chesterton, he, he has this famous uh, quote and kind of this, this uh, metaphor talking about how uh, restraint for a child actually leads to liberation. I want to read this quote. He said this, We might fancy some children playing on, a, on the flat, grassy top of some tall island in the sea. So long as there is a wall around the cliff's edge, they could fling themselves into every frantic game and make the place the noisiest of nurseries. 
but the walls were broken down, leaving the naked peril of the precipice. They did not fall over, but when their friends returned to them, they were all huddled in terror in the center of the island, and their song had ceased. In other words, it was the restraint that allowed them to function in freedom. But when the wall was broken down and there was no restraint, it didn't lead to freedom. It led to the opposite, bondage. They're all huddled in the middle of the island, scared that they might fall over. And so what we have to recognize is restraint and restriction in the life of a child is not a curse. It's a blessing. And so Jacob is taking on the role of a father saying, hey, we're going to get rid of these things that are holding us back. Now, the Bible says in Proverbs to train up a child in the way that they should go. How many of you are familiar with that verse? It's a very famous verse. Train up a child in the way that they should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. The word train in the Hebrew is the word hanak. It actually is a really interesting picture if you study the, the etymology and the origin of the word hanak. It, it carries the idea in Middle Eastern culture, in ancient culture, they would put a little bit of date honey on the tip of their finger, a parent, and they would go to the child, the, the newborn, the infant, and they would put that date honey on the lips of the newborn, and it would stimulate the, the sucking reflexes in the child so that it would be ready to feed from its mother. And so the idea of, of train up a child, hanak, it actually carries the idea to stimulate one's taste. And so when the Bible tells parents to train up a child in the way that they should go, it's far more than just information that you give. It's a lifestyle that you live. You're cultivating a taste for goodness and for godliness. A parent should live in such a way that the child looks at the parent and says, I want more of that. I want what they have. And so as a parent, we have to recognize that we're to cultivate that kind of, that kind of taste, and we're going to stimulate taste that will lead to godliness and goodness that, that God promises in his word. And so that's what Jacob's doing. He's responding to God's word. And if you want to get back to Bethel, that's the starting place. I'm going to listen to God's word, and then I'm going to respond to it. I'm not just going to be a hearer of the word of God. I'm going to be a doer of the word of God. I'm going to let the word of God come to me and then go through me. And here's the second thought today. Number one is this. Respond to the word of God. Here's the second thought. Rest in God's provision. Aren't you thankful that God provides for us? And that God not only said to Jacob, hey, you need to get up and go, but then he cared for him and comforted him and provided for him along the way. I'm thankful that the God that we worship doesn't just save us and redeem us and then say, see you later. See you when you, you, know, when you get to heaven. No, he's going to comfort and care and provide and direct us along the way. And we see that taking place in the life of Jacob. I want you to see it starting in verse number five. And they journeyed. So they're on the way. Okay, they packed everything up. They're on the way. They're getting back to Bethel. And the terror of God was upon the cities that were round about them, and they did not pursue after the sons of Jacob. Remember, they hated the sons of Jacob. They did a terrible, wicked, evil thing. And they thought the main reason why we can't travel is because those surrounding cities are going to seek us, and they're going to kill us and destroy us. But when they stepped out in faith in, in obedience to what God said, what did God do? He put a hedge of protection around them. And it's interesting that their protection came after the purification, that they got rid of the idols. See, if you're serious about wanting to experience God's power and protection in your life, you have to first lay a foundation of purity. They got rid of the idols. They, get, they confessed their sin. They got right with God. And then the protection followed. That's why one commentator, Matthew Henry, said, while there was sin in Jacob's house, he was afraid of his neighbors. But now that the strange gods were put away, his neighbors were afraid of him. Proverbs says in chapter 16, verse 7, when a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. 
And so now God is protecting them. He put a hedge of protection around them so that they can safely uh, journey uh, along the way. And uh, we have to recognize that when we walk the path of obedience, God's protection will follow and his providence will follow. And I want you to notice what happens. Notice verse number six. So Jacob came to Luz. Now remember, this was the place known as almonds, barren place. Not a whole lot going on except for some almonds. If, you're, if you like almonds, you're, you love Luz. So Jacob came to Luz, which is in the land of Canaan. That is Bethel. Now remember, Bethel is what Jacob renamed Luz to. Bethel means house of God, okay? So they come to Bethel. He made it. He and all the people that were with him, verse 7, and he built there an altar, and he called the place El Bethel. Because their God appeared unto him when he had fled from the face of his brother. So Jacob renames the place again. Now he names it from Bethel to El Bethel. Now, this is not Spanish. This is not the Bethel. Uh, El is a Hebrew generic name for God. Why would Jacob do that? He, He renames Bethel, house of God, to El Bethel, God of the house of God. Why did he do that? The first time Jacob went to Bethel, he was impressed with the place. Wow, surely the Lord is in this place. I'm going to call it the house of God. But this time around, when he went back to Bethel, he was not only impressed with the place, he was more impressed with the God of the place. Can I encourage you to never be so concentrated on the house of God that you neglect the God of the house? I love Rock Hill Church. Anybody else? I love Rock Hill Church. I love this place. I'm all in in the local church. I love what God is doing here. I love this place. But ultimately, I love the God of this place. And I never want to get distracted and I never want to get deterred that my worship would be hindered because I'm focused on something else rather than the God of the house. Jacob comes back to Bethel and he says, man, I need to rename this place El Bethel. I need to rename this place God of the house of God because I never want to lose sight on the one that called me and redeemed me and loved me. And so Jacob, he responds to God's word and he's on his way back and then he's resting in God's provision. He didn't have to worry about those surrounding cities that hated him. God put a hedge of protection around him. And I just want you to know when you step out in faith that God will provide for you. It might not always look like you want it to look. It might not always be in the timing that you think it should be. But we worship a God of provision. We worship Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. And so we can rest in his provision. Now, this leads us to a third thought. Number three. Next, we have to review God's promises. I'm thankful that we worship a God who is faithful to keep his promises. And when God first met with Jacob at Bethel, and you can read about it earlier on in Genesis, when God met with Jacob the first time, he made a covenant with Jacob, a very serious promise. And he promises Jacob land, provision, protection, people, purpose, and he he makes this covenant with him. Now, what he's going to do here next in the next few verses is he's going to reaffirm and confirm that covenant. Okay, so they're going to review the promise that God had previously made him. Everybody tracking so far? They're going to go over this covenant. And in this reaffirming, we see two things, and I believe they're worth noting. We see two things. First, we see a picture of grace, a picture of grace. I want you to see it in verse number nine. It says this, and God appeared unto Jacob again. I love that word again. God already showed up to Jacob, but now God is willing to show up to him in that same place again. Think about all that Jacob had been through. It had been 30 years since the first experience at Bethel. 
Think about what happened with Dinah. Think about what happened with his sons and the murder. Jacob could have thought, God's done with me. All those promises that God made me, I canceled those out with the decisions that I've made. But God shows up to him again. I'm thankful that we worship the God of second chances and the God of new beginnings. And it doesn't matter what mistakes you make. It doesn't matter what is in your past. God is faithful to show up again and again and again and again and again and again and says, my love is still available. My grace is still available. My mercy is still available. The promise still stands. Jacob would have thought that promise is done for. But God showed up again. And we see a picture of God's grace. Aren't you thankful for his grace today that God continually shows up in our lives even when we're drifting? He showed up again. But I want you to see verse number 10. And God said unto him, thy name is Jacob. Thy name shall not be called any more Jacob, but Israel shall be thy name. And he called his name Israel. Got a name change. Here's what's interesting, interesting about this name change. God already changed his name. If you read previously in Genesis, remember Jacob wrestled with God? God already changed his name to Israel. Jacob means deceiver. Israel means triumphant with God. God already changed his name. So why here in Genesis 35, when Jacob gets back to Bethel, does God say, I'm going to change your name? He, he had already done that. And the reason is, even though Jacob had a new name, he wasn't living like Israel, the triumphant one. He was living like Jacob, the deceiver. And so God shows up and he says, I want to remind you of who you are. You're living like Jacob. And I think this is so helpful because so often in our lives, we know that we're called to be Israel. We know that we're called to be victorious in Christ. But so often we still feel like Jacob. We know that we're victorious. We know that the war has already been won. We know that the Bible says that we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. But a lot of times we feel like Jacob. Feel like a failure. Feel like I don't have it in me. And it's interesting, as you study Jacob's life, as you move forward in the book of Genesis, he's always referred to as both. He's always referred to as Jacob and as Israel. And I think this is significant because when we get saved, we have a new nature. And when we get saved, it's out with the old, in with the new, but we still battle our flesh. And sometimes we're going to feel like Israel. Sometimes we're going to feel like Jacob. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how we feel. It matters what God says. And so that's why God says to Jacob, hey, you might feel like a deceiver. But in this moment, I'm going to remind you who you are. You are Israel, the triumphant one. Can I tell you today, never let the devil, never let the devil slap a label on you and call you a failure, call you a mistake, call you good for nothing. Because Jesus says you are a child of God. You are a citizen of heaven. You have been redeemed by the blood of the lamb. Never forget who you are. Jacob felt like deceiver, but what was God saying? You are Israel. Never forget who you are. It's a picture of God's grace. But not only do we see a picture of God's grace, uh, I love this, we see the power of God. Now, notice verse number 11. Everybody still with me? Notice verse 11. It says this, and God said unto him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply a nation, and a company of nations shall be of thee. And kings shall come out of thy loins. Now, if you read back to the first encounter at Bethel, much of this is review. God had already given him this promise. God had already given him this covenant uh, that, that, that there would be a lineage from his line and that uh, he would be used for great and mighty things. Much of this was review. But there was one new thing in that verse that Jacob didn't hear the first time around. The new thing that Jacob heard was the beginning of verse number 11. And God said unto him, I am God Almighty. That was new. He hadn't heard that the first time. And this is so powerful. I am God Almighty. In the Hebrew, it's the name 
El Shaddai. God's saying, I am the nourisher. I am the sustainer. I am the all-powerful one. Whatever you need, Jacob, I can provide it for you because I am the God Almighty. I am El Shaddai. And this is good news because it means that Jacob didn't have to rely on his flesh and on his strength and on what he could do. He was saying, Jacob, I have exactly what you need. I'm thankful today that we worship El Shaddai, that we worship the God who is the sustainer and the nourisher. And whatever you need, you can have it in our God. The Bible says in the New Testament in 1 Peter that he's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Everything that you need is found in a relationship with the God of the universe, the God that loves you and created you. I remember growing up, uh, my family was on a vacation up the California coast, and we went and visited Hearst Castle. Has anybody visited Hearst Castle? Uh, it's, a great, it's a great place. Highly recommend it. And I think we have a picture today. It's a massive compound. And William Hearst uh, one day was in his uh, castle, and he was uh, reading this magazine, and he saw a piece of art that he really wanted, really into collecting art. And he saw this beautiful piece of art, and he says, I want that. And so he commissioned his employees and a bunch of people, and he says, I want you to go out and find this piece of art. He said, I'm willing to pay whatever the price is. Find it, I'll pay for it. And so they left. And uh, they went out for about two weeks, and they returned to William Hearst, and they said, good news and bad news. The bad news is, is we cannot buy this painting for you. The good news is you already own it, and it was in one of his storage facilities. See, what he was longing for, he already had. I think if we're honest, that's a lot of times how we live our lives. We're longing for something that's next. We're longing for something that's more, and God says, look at what you already have. The Bible says in Ephesians that God has blessed us. In Ephesians 1, verse number 3, blessed be the God of the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. In case you didn't know this, spiritually speaking, you are rich. You are rich in Christ Jesus. You have a relationship with the God of the universe, a home in heaven. You are rich spiritually. And this is what God is saying to Jacob when he says, I am God Almighty. I am El Shaddai. He says, you already have what you need, Jacob. You don't need something new. You don't need something next. You have what you need. And this leads us to our uh, fourth and final thought today. Do you have one more in you this morning? If we're going to get back to Bethel, uh, here's the last instruction. Number four, retrain your perspective. If we're going to get back to Bethel and we're going to come to this place of blessing and God's will in our lives, we have to learn to retrain our perspective. Now, I want you to see it starting in verse 14. The Bible says, and Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he talked with him even a pillar of stone, and he poured out a drink offering thereon, and he poured oil thereon. Now, this is an interesting symbolic act. Don't, don't miss this. Jacob pours out a drink offering. Here's what's interesting about Jacob pouring out a drink offering. This is the first time in all of Scripture that we see a drink offering. And that kind of got me thinking, well, what's the last time in Scripture that you see a drink offering? Because this first time that we see a drink offering, this drink sacrifice, it points us ahead to the ultimate final drink offering. The prophet Isaiah talked about this in Isaiah chapter 53, prophesying of the suffering servant who is Jesus Christ. And this is what Isaiah said about Jesus. Everybody with me? In Isaiah 53 verse 12, Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. Who's he talking about? Jesus that Jesus poured out his soul unto death, that Jesus gave his all, that Jesus gave his life so that you and I could live with him forever. He is the final drink offering. He sacrificed it all. 
And here's Jacob in the first drink offering. What is he saying? He says, God, whatever you want, you can have. He's, it was symbolic of pouring out everything. I wonder today, have you poured out everything to the Lord? Are you willing to give it all? Are you willing to say, whatever it is in my life, God, whether it's financial, relational, vocational, whatever it is, God, you can have it. Jacob was saying, nothing is holding me back anymore. This was the, the, the purpose of the drink offering, a total commitment, total surrender. Now, I want you to see verse number 16. And so they journeyed from Bethel, and there was but a little way to come to Ephrath. And Rachel, Jacob's wife, travailed, and she had hard labor. And so they're making their final journey into Canaan. And while they're on their way, Rachel goes into labor. It had been 15 years since she had last given birth. And the Bible says that she goes into a rough labor. In fact, she goes into labor, and the Bible says that she loses her life in the process. She dies. But it's in that moment that her son that she gave birth to is actually given two names. And names in the Bible are very significant. And I think this is important for us to zero in on for a second. Names are very significant. Rachel knew this. Rachel's name actually meant you lamb, like a little you lamb. Her sister's name, Leah, meant cow, which is pretty unfortunate. Your sister's the little cute lamb and you're cow, right? Names have meaning in the Bible. The name Matthew, my name, means gift of God. You're welcome. I, I tell that to the first service. But names in the Bible have meaning. And so in her dying breath, Rachel gives a name to her son. I want you to see it. Everybody with me? Verse 18. And it came to pass as her soul was departing, her last few breaths, before she died, that she called his name Benoni. And so in her dying breath, Rachel, Jacob's wife, says, I want his name to be Benoni. The name Benoni means son of sorrow. It speaks of misfortune. It speaks of difficulty and adversity. In her dying breath, she says, I want him to be named Benoni, son of sorrow, symbolic of the pain that she was enduring in that moment. Notice what Jacob does, verse 18. But, the end of verse 18, his father called him Benjamin. Well, that's a little rude, right? Like in her dying breath, her one would na name him Benoni, and Jacob's like, nah, I don't, I don't like Benoni. Let's name him Benjamin. Why did Jacob do that? Did Jacob not love Rachel? Did Jacob not respect Rachel? Of course he did. Jacob worked for 14 years so that he could marry Rachel. He loved her. But Jacob had a habit of renaming things. Jacob was good at naming things. Uh, my daughter, Blakely, she's great at naming things. She's named all her stuffed animals. She named her bunny floofers, and uh, she loves to name different things. Jacob was constantly renaming things. If you study his life, he, when he went to Luz, he said, no, let's name it Bethel. And then he, when he came back the second time, he says, no, let's name it, name it El Bethel. And he was constantly renaming things. Even his name was changed. And so Jacob thought, if God can rename me, and if I can rename these things, then maybe I can rename this. And so Jacob says, we're not going to call him Benoni. We're going to call him Benjamin. Now, this makes sense because a father in ancient culture had naming rights. And so really it was the father's responsibility to choose the name. And so Jacob says, I have the naming rights. We're going to name him Benjamin. And so Rachel names him Benoni, son of sorrow. Jacob names him Benjamin. The name Benjamin means son of my right hand. 
In other words, son of strength. And so what Rachel in her sorrow named sorrow, Jacob named strength. And Jacob just thought, man, if God can change my name and if I can change and God's grace is available, then maybe I can change this. And and rather than naming this sorrow, I'm going to name it strength. See, I don't know what it is in your life, what trial or adversity you're going through, but you never know how God can change the name and repurpose it for his glory. Can I tell you today that only our heavenly father has naming rights in our lives. And someone might try to name you or label you a failure or someone might, might, might try to label you a mistake, but only your heavenly father has naming rights and he says that you are a child of God a son or a daughter of the king of kings and the lord of lords only he has naming rights and maybe what looks like a trial right now God wants to rename it and repurpose it for a triumph in your life and so Jacob says no we're not gonna we're not gonna call this sorrow we're not gonna remember him every time we look at Benjamin every time we look at this boy we're not gonna remember sorrow we're gonna remember the strength that God has given us He renamed it. He retrained his perspective. Now, I want you to see verse number 20. Two more verses and we'll be done today. Verse number 20. And Jacob set a pillar upon her grave. That is the pillar of Rachel's grave unto this day. Now, now, the emotion for Jacob was real. He mourned. He loved Rachel. So he, he took time to mourn her death. Jacob mourned. Verse 21. Watch this, last verse. And Israel journeyed. Jacob mourned, verse 20. Israel journeyed, verse 21. Jacob mourned, but by the grace of God, he got back up again and he prevailed, triumphant with God. He says, I'm going to move forward. I don't know what trial you've been through. I don't know what adversity you've been through, but by the grace of God and the power of God, you can get up again and you can move forward. Jacob mourned, but Israel journeyed on. He prevailed on. Today, I want to encourage all of us to take a look within and ask, how can I get back to Bethel? Where where am I drifting? What sin do I need to confess? How am I doing in these areas? And ask God to reveal it to you so that you too can get back to Bethel. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes today.